I feel like I preached on this, but I hadn't. I looked over my records and I looked at it. I do reference it a lot. But I think very fitting for this month as we've been talking about the resurrection and things that we, uh, what we believe in and hold to and how we share our faith with others, that we think deeply about Paul's sermon here on Mars Hill, that is the Areopagus, as he stood on that mountain and preached this message. There's so much here that's useful to, for us today as we are speaking to a secular world, a world filled with people with various beliefs, with uh, beliefs that are like New Ageism, Stoicism, or like the Epicureans would be like agnosticism and atheism today, that we know how to speak to others, and that we think about the way that Paul did that. Before we get further into our study, I ask that you pray with me. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you bless us now, our minds and our hearts, as we look at your word and we consider, these, consider this um, sermon from the Apostle Paul, that we think about the ways and the wisdom that you've given us to be able to speak to others, to share our faith, to stand up for who you are. And Father, we ask that you give us boldness and courage in sharing that truth. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You hear a lot of strange things today, and, and I hear statements from individuals saying, well, you know, certain people live in certain areas of the world, and they're just not likely to hear about God. And some even reason, we might as well not even go to them. Don't even take the gospel to them. Why? Because, well, they think, them being ignorant, of course God's not going to hold them accountable. Is that what the Bible says? What do the scriptures say on this matter? And as far as um, uh, th that teaching, the necessity of sharing the gospel. And, you know, you hear that. You hear people saying, well, different people have different viewpoints. And God will judge each one by their heart. Yes, he will. But does that excuse us from not knowing our Creator and not knowing Christ and not obeying the gospel? We're going to look at that this morning because as I see here, uh, and as we had read earlier, Ray read from us for us from uh, John chapter 3, verses 16 through, through 21, where Jesus is saying they're without excuse for not believing. You're condemned already if you don't believe in Christ. Well, how can Jesus say that? Well, I think we're going to see some reasons why here in a moment. And I think we see the truth. God is not far from any one of us. It makes sense. As Paul got up there and he preached, he reasoned. God cannot be far from every one of us. He, he created everything. He's made us. He's given us life and breath. He cares about us. He's made us in his likeness. We are his offspring is what we will read there, the details of it. And, and some people might not quite see this as good news, but the fact that God is close to everyone and people can find him God no longer overlooks ignorance. And I take that as good news because God tells us that there's no excuse for not knowing who He is. No matter where you are, where you live, at what time period, the Bible says you can know who God is. You can seek Him and you can find Him. You can reach for Him and grasp Him. He's not too far away. And therefore, because you can know God and God does not overlook ignorance of who He is, He commands all people to repent. I think that's a message that we need to be carrying with us today. It's a great way to introduce the gospel, which is exactly what the Apostle Paul does. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at Acts chapter 17. This is going to be our exposition. I'm not going to have this scripture on the screen, but we're going to read from it right now. If you have your Bible or on your phone, whatever your device might be, let's go to Acts chapter 17. We're going to read Paul's sermon here, and we're going to draw out some observations from it. 
Acts chapter 17. So here you have the, Athen the Athenians, the philosophers, the Stoics, the Epicureans there. They've gathered together. They want to hear what Paul is saying. And this is what we read in verse 22. And so Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with the inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. There's a lot of wisdom right there in what, the way that Paul is addressing and bringing up God. The unknown God. Now, what I do know about the historical background of the unknown God is that there were about 100, 200 years before this, there was a plague that had killed a number of the Athenians. And so they built an altar to the unknown God after they've sacrificed to all of them. And when they worshiped the unknown God, the plague ceased. And so from that point forward, they worshiped the unknown God. Let's go a little bit further here. Look at verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it. So now Paul goes right to talking about God and who he is. He made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods, the times they live in, and the boundaries of their dwelling. In verse 27, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. Yet, He is actually not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being. And even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed His offspring. Being, the, being then God's offspring... We ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now, He commands all people everywhere to repent. Because He speaks the day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And of this He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. I think about the way that the apostles preached the messages they shared and the audience that they were speaking to. And I wonder about it. I want to speak more like they do. And I want to encourage us as we start thinking about those that we would share the truth with, how do we speak to them? Where do we start? How do we begin talking? And so anytime we can bring up the subject of God is a wonderful thing. To admire Him, to reflect upon the weather, to, to talk about how what we're praying for and the struggles in our life and how we lean upon our Creator. And we start, start talking about who He is and what He does in our life. Those things are a great uh, way to uh, attest to God who, who He is because we perceive Him and we know Him. And He is not unknown to us. And He should not be. Some observations I see here with Paul's preaching. The Apostle Paul spoke of God with the Athenians that they, uh, whom they had admitted they didn't know. They said, we don't know him. That's kind of a peculiar thing. And it gave him the perfect ground to say, I'm going to tell you about the God that you don't know. They had no other concept or any, any kind of belief that was similar to what Paul was telling them. But it made sense. Everything has come into being and it exists and therefore the Creator must exist. God must exist. But that's not really the way that Paul goes there. He doesn't argue by... Um, proofs or evidences trying to demonstrate that God exists. 
he starts speaking, saying that God is unknown to you. But as we know from other things that Paul says, he says, you should know him. You should already know him, and you're without excuse. And I think that's something I see here with Paul, is that he has the ability to challenge people. And we need to do that. Challenge people to stop taking the position of, I'm going to be ignorant, or I'm going to take the position of agnostic. I just don't think you can know, and I don't know. That's what agnosticism is, is to say that I, I don't know, and that I'm ignorant about who God is, as though that's a valid excuse, as though that's an honorable position, as though that's a, that's a good place to be. But God, the scriptures say, right here Paul says, God is going to judge everyone. They're going to bring him into account. Well, why is he going to do that? Because he has revealed himself and he's not far from anyone. And there's no reason for us not to look for him and not to find him. We can't make up those kinds of excuses anymore. Now, I've heard some people say, well, this person just didn't know this about the Bible or they didn't know this about Christ. They didn't know this about baptism. They didn't know this about God. And so they're excused. I don't, I don't know that. God knows that. He's the just judge. He knows where we are and where we're supposed to be. He has the understanding on that. Him being the creator and the source of all morality and right and wrong, yes, he's going to be the judge. He is ultimately just and good. So Paul goes on further and he builds on the truth of who God is. He made everything. He's given us everything. He's given man life and breath and everything to humanity. God has made every nation. He's set their period of time, every ethnicity. He's determined their boundaries, where they're going to be, where nations are. God is in control and he's put people where they are so that they will seek him out. There's no uh, jungle in South America. There's no deserted island out in the Pacific Ocean where anybody can go or grow up and be excluded and say, you know what? I just didn't know. There's no way that you can claim that you do not have an excuse. The Bible continues to emphasize this. It's not just here in Acts chapter 17. But everyone can find God because God is not far from anyone. Now, as we're saying that, we might be thinking, well, if anybody can follow God, why should I go sharing the truth? We start thinking about it. God's going to hold accountable those who we love, our friends, our family, our co-workers, our neighbors. He's going to judge them because they don't know God. They're going to be held accountable for that. When I start thinking about that, it's not a motivation not to share. It's a motivation to share the truth, to talk about God, and to talk about Christ, and to talk about the gospel. So when I read Acts 17, I look at what Paul's saying here, and I think it's amazing because it's, it's not the approach you would usually expect or hear today from someone. Today, most of the time, I hear people saying, um, we want to hear what you, you believe, or someone's going to give a discourse about what they believe, or, or whatever it might be, or they're talking to their friends, and they often want to say, look at all the evidence. Yes, as believers, we see the evidence. We don't miss it. But the unbeliever doesn't want it, even if we give it to them. We'll talk a bit more about that in a moment. But further observations here from Acts 17, 29 to 31. God does not conform to the imaginations of men. You know, we come up with these ideas and things we think about God. The way we want to fashion him and the way we want to shape him. We want God to be like this. We want him to be accepting or inclusive or tolerant of certain behaviors and the way that we live. And yet God says he is who he is. We don't determine that. God determines it. We cannot shape God by our imaginations. We were shaped by His wisdom and by His Word, and He formed us in His likeness. We have to be humble before Him. God no longer overlooks ignorance, agnosticism, but He commands all 
people to repent, and this is reasonable. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a moment. And God will judge the world by righteousness. You know, when I look at it here in the Greek, when he says by righteousness, it's the, the same preposition there. He then says by a man. And I'm looking at it in, in the text this week, and I'm thinking, what he's saying here is he's judging on that day of judgment, God's going to judge by Christ, by, by this man who's completely righteous. And, and so I'm imagining the Athenians hearing this and what they're thinking. What man is there who is so righteous that God can judge the world by him? That man would almost have to be perfect, wouldn't he? He would have to be without sin. He had to be right with God. He'd have to be essentially God in the flesh to, to do that. And so God judges the world by the righteousness of that man, and we see that. But would God allow that man to die or to remain dead? Certainly not. He hasn't had those consequences come upon him. He's overcome death. And so God has given assurance. He's given assurance of the day of judgment. He's given assurance that all men should know God and believe in him by resurrecting him from the dead. So all these things Paul preaches in a very short amount of time. When you look right there in those 10 verses, that's amazing. It's amazing to think about what he was able to um, communicate there and to teach and to base it off of, let me tell you about the unknown God, the creator of everything. He created everything. He made you. He gave you breath. He's not far from any one of us. Therefore, he no longer overlooks ignorance about him, but he's going to judge all. And he's going to judge all in righteousness. Why? Because God is just. And he's given assurance of this because he judges by that righteous man who resurrected from the dead. I love the way that Paul speaks here because he takes the high ground. He transcends the argument. You know, a lot of people will make excuses, but what about this and what about this? I want more evidence. I want more proof. How would you handle this situation? Aren't you going to be tolerant and inclusive of this? And Paul doesn't go down to that level. He doesn't bend to that. He says, let's think about God. Let's think about who He is. Who determines right and wrong? Who, did, who gives us everything that we need? Who is righteous and able to judge? We should not think that anyone is to simply okay for not knowing God or for ignoring Christ or ignoring the Gospel because you're not. The Scriptures tell us that without Christ, we cannot be saved. There's no other name under heaven by which man can be saved. Acts chapter 4. So when we begin to talk to others, many will say, why should I believe this or that? Because this is God. He's the one who's given you your life and your breath. Believe in Him and trust in Him. And as I look here, I see God's, I see the reasonableness of God's judgment against such ignorance, such foolishness to say, well, I just didn't know. And we see this, because God created everything, again, He gave everything, God will not overlook ignoring Him. And so it's right for God to command a repentance from choosing to be ignorant because he's not far from any one of us. God is just, and you must judge for this because it is willful ignorance. We're going to look at it a little bit further. There are other scriptures on this, but the Apostle Paul, he reasoned by the necessary existence of God. He didn't reason to God. He reasoned upon God. There is no reasoning or wisdom or understanding without God. You just start going in circles and simply say, well, I believe this. Why do you believe that? Well, it's just the way I was raised. It's what society tells me. It's what I want to believe. And it's just a circle. I believe this because I want to believe this. Well, why is that right? Because I want to believe it. And you just keep going. 
Whereas when you believe in God, you have a foundation of understanding, of perceiving, of knowing there's something real. That, that all of life is not a delusion. I was reading an article recently of some evolutionists who are saying, you know, our whole world we live in, it may be, just be a simulation. It may not even be real. It might be like a dream or something, and you're in some kind of almost a computer program, and, and, it's, and it's all delusion. But that's the kind of reasoning that comes along with that. When you abandon God as the foundation of thinking. And so Paul doesn't do that. He doesn't start from a position of saying, well, let's start without God and reason to God. No, he starts with God and builds upon it. And he says that God calls all people to repent. I think there's great blessings in looking at the evidence and looking at the prophecies in the Bible that predicted Jesus and predicted many great events that we read about in the scriptures and we see in history. We can look at the miracles of Christ. We can consider the historical evidences for His resurrection. We can look at the scientific evidence that shows God's existence. But the world is not going to consider that until they're willing to. And we've got to challenge them. You're responsible. You can see it. And I want to help you to see it. But it's up to you. It's up to your hearts. It's up to your mind to see those things. Because God created everything. He's not far from any one of us. God is the foundation of all reasoning. And so when I hear people say, well, I need evidence or I need more proof, I hear a diversion. I don't hear sincerity there. I hear a suppression of the truth just as the Bible says the one does because God, again, is not far from any one of us. I've been thinking a lot about this lately. I just I can't get around it when I'm talking and Speaking to others, when I think about our country and the state that it's in, that nobody can ultimately say, oh, I'm without excuse. Oh, we've got to be accepting of, of other religions that deny the existence of God, of Jehovah God. No. You can see that God exists. It's not the debate over God's existence or identity. It's about knowing who He is. And it comes down to a person's choice. You know, I think about that. Some people say, well, if I just had enough evidence. Yes, you can have enough evidence. And God could have provided so much evidence that you no longer had a choice and that you had to believe because you're always in His presence and in His glory. And then, where's the free will in that? Where's the choice in that? God doesn't do it that way. He gives you enough evidence to believe, but not so much to overcome your own free will. So we need to talk about God more. We need to talk about God with our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends, who He is and what He does. Because God is not far from any one of us. And we need Him. And we know that we're going to be held accountable in the last day. I think about passages like here in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, where the Scripture says, Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Why so? He says, who by their unrighteousness they suppress the truth. What truth are they suppressing? By the, by the way that they're living in sin, he says, well, what can be known about God is plain to them. What can be known about God is plain to them. They can see it. They can look at creation. They can read the Scriptures. They can consider the life of Jesus. And it is plain. He says, and he goes on further, he says, because God has shown it to them. God Himself has shown it to them. It's not about how much evidence or how much proof. It's a matter of the state of the heart and one challenging our, those around us whom we love to look and seek out God and to seek out His Son.
to find Him. Because if we would seek, then we would find. Paul says, for His invisible attributes, God's invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and His divine nature. We see it. This beautiful day outside. You see His eternal power and His divine nature, His deity have been clearly perceived, it says here, ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, God innately has put it in every man to be able to know, to see and perceive, where, to see God no matter where they are. And if they would perceive and, and they would see God and they would pursue Him, I believe the gospel would come to them. The truth would find a way. God would make the way. And so Paul says, so they are without excuse again because that day of judgment is coming. As a Christian, and I believe in God, I see evidence of God everywhere. And I think most of us in here, all of us in here who say, I believe in God, we see evidence of God. We see the truth of God everywhere around us. Well, why is it that other people don't see it? You, you probably ask that question. We ask it a lot. And the Bible tells us it's the state of their heart. They're resisting. They're suppressing it. They can, and innately they have the ability to, but they put it away. And it's ironic. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21, Paul says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. The world, by their own wisdom and all their thinking, cannot know God. They can't know it on their own. They have to go by what God has given to them, what God has revealed to them. And it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. I think about those in the book of Acts. And I start thinking about evangelism. And you might be reasoning, you ever thought about who should I share the gospel with? And you think, well, I got uh, a neighbor in my a neighborhood, and he's an atheist. Well, he'll never believe. Well, I got another neighbor in my neighborhood, and uh, this man and woman, they're a couple. Well, they're Baptist. Well, who should I, I, they already know God, so I don't need to share the gospel with them. You ever reasoned in that way? I hear people say that. Well, they have the word of God, and they're too hard-hearted. And we start making judgments like that. Well, when I open the book of Acts, I see people who already believe in God in Acts chapter 2 being preached the gospel, being shown what the prophecies, the predictions, the resurrection of Christ. They're still being evangelized too. I see people like Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 who prayed to God, who was God-fearing and gave to the poor. Certainly a man like him would be saved. He was not saved until he heard the gospel there in Acts chapter 10. And so we need to stop making those judgments about who should hear and who can and who's going to accept what and just preach the truth. Preach God and preach Christ crucified and give that truth to others. And we can go anywhere in between there. I mean, you can, between you know, a Bible-believing, God-believing individual all the way to an atheist and start saying, well, who's going to believe? Well, God's going to call us all into judgment. No no adult can claim ignorance as an excuse for not knowing God because God is not far from any one of us. Again, if you love your friends, your family, your neighbors, your co-workers, why leave them ignorant? Why not love them? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 10 and 11, he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due, what he has done in the body, whether good or evil, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. How are we going to persuade others? Well, Acts 17 has given us that. It's given us a model in a secular world on how to speak to those who don't believe in Jehovah God. And back to the sermon two weeks ago, we looked at Colossians chapter 4. 
And we ask that question, I need wisdom, I need instruction, I need help in sharing the faith and sharing the truth. In Colossians 4, verses 5 through 6, Paul said, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. We reflected upon that, we looked at that, and here we have other passages like Exodus 17 that gives us that wisdom that we desire to guide our speech, to speak in a way that is gracious, to lead others to Christ. Yes, we might offend some when we say there's a day of judgment coming and that God will not overlook ignorance, but they need to hear it and they need to be challenged. The Bible reflects what people can see is true. We see this. We see a lot about, we see more in human nature than you can ever get out of a psychology book. It's in the scriptures. We see what's really going on in the world. We see reality. We see God. We see why people resist the faith, why they resist the gospel, why they turn their back on Christ and on his church. We can see God's nature. We can see why we should have a relationship with him because... Again, God is not far from any one of us. We can all know him. At the end of Paul's sermon there in Acts 17, we see these responses right here. Verses 32 to 34. And they've been some of the responses that I've received. Some are good. Two of them are, I think, good. And one is bad. This is what we read. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, because that's where our message is going, from God to Christ and his resurrection, the gospel, now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Yes, some are going to mock. Some are going to make fun of what you believe in. But others said, we will hear you again about this. They took the challenge, and they're going to go and think about it further. So Paul went out from their midst. But then some men joined him and believed, among whom also was Dionysius, the Arapagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Others came to believe. And that's the response that we want. I hope that we're thinking, as a lot of people are wondering, you know, when do I go back to church? What should I believe in? Should I turn to God? Should I accept the gospel? And where is God? We have the answers right here in Scripture. We have what we need. We have the wisdom to be able to speak to others. And it's very, very simple. God is the creator of all. And again, he's not far from any one of us. What have you done with the gospel of Jesus Christ? What have you done with the message that God has given to you? I encourage you this morning, if you haven't confessed faith in Christ, that you do so, and that you confess, that you repent of your sins, that you be baptized into Christ as you rise up in the newness of life. It's in baptism, the Bible says in Acts 2.38 and Colossians 2 and verse 13, that all sins are washed away. Not a few of them, not some of them. All your sins can be washed away, and you can do that today. You need prayers and encouragement? We want to encourage you. We encourage you to come now. Let's sing together.